jinkies. Oh, what's that gross book made out of skin? It's not a book. It's a tome made out of skin. Ew. What's it say? Behold the collected apocrypha of Stacy Ponder, the writer for Final Girl. And Anthony Hudson, the programmer for Queer Horror. And together they are... Oh my god! Don't read it out loud! Don't read it out loud! of Darkness! We're back with more non-horror horror. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah, what if... Uh... <laughs> what if one day that was just how this podcast was forever yeah and when we never acknowledged it we just Not- started like oh yeah well see one thing i loved about this perfect queen <laughs> what a legend <laughs> it was just a couple of harvey firesteins did you see the bangs did you see the bangs oh my god <laughs> listen this movie i was in it to win it so good and we just literally never acknowledged it like if somebody left a comment and they were like hey uh, love that you're trying something new and we just didn't respond we don't even say whatever are you talking about we yeah just, <laughs> yeah we just keep going as we were watch the subscriber numbers drop and drop as they realize <laughs> like this is the way it is now or perhaps what if we skyrocket mm. into the podcast stratosphere, baby? Yeah. Oh, wow. And we're yeah. like, we're, we're top of the charts. We're like the queer Joe Rogans. <laughs> yeah, spreading disinformation. Disinformation and bullshit. They're <laughs> talking about martyrs. Mis- disinformation, misinformation through a queer feminist lens. <laughs> Now, Vaccines aren't real. Yeah, now this COVID everybody's talking about. As a lesbian, I don't believe in it. See? But Florence Pugh, she's masterful. Oh, masterful. <laughs> <laughs> she is, though. something to try you know listen we're a couple of years into this show like um, we're oh episode 200 is on the horizon you know what i mean oh we got we gotta think of ways to keep it fresh and clearly that's one way it's true there's the hole in the sheet or uh <laughs> talking like that or we uh we go gluten-free you gotta change you gotta change it up well, anyway, as I said, <laughs> we are continuing non. It's hard not to go right back into that voice, I'll tell you. I have never heard you talk like her ever before, and I'm kind of... I miss her already. <laughs> I was really taken. I'm... It's... I have to prevent myself from doing it. I love that... I love that they're essentially, they're exactly us as we are, but also anti-vectors. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> so not only are we trying new voices, we're completely changing our ethos. Yes. We still love women. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and actresses. Yeah. <laughs> But whether or not they die of COVID, well, it's not even possible because COVID doesn't exist. <laughs> it's my choice. My choice. <laughs> Misks. <laughs> my face, my choice. <laughs> well, sheeple, this week we're talking about... <laughs> Talk about investors. That's the answer right there. These are, this is our yeah. road to startup. Now, stay tuned for a mattress advertisement. <laughs> Do you like toothbrushes? <laughs> Mine attaches to my mirror. And I swear by it. Your toothbrush attaches to your mirror? Those, those are toothbrushes on the podcast that you, it's, it's like a magnet or something, and it goes on your mirror. Is it too hard to put it in a cup on a shelf Stacey, now? Stacy, it, it's minimalism, baby. Oh. Okay. We're not the maximalist 90s and 2000s anymore. It is now we're minimalists, and that's why you can't have a toothbrush cup. <clears throat> so you have your tooth. Rather than putting your toothbrush, listen, wherever you want to put your toothbrush, that is your business. <laughs> as long as it's not anywhere near pride. <laughs> well, to just have it. On your mirror, uh, there's particles in the air. You know what I mean? Yeah, but then that's the same thing. Do you think about this all the time now since COVID? Like, I've just become so much more aware of particles. And like, I've always been aware of particles. Always been. Of that kind of particle? Very. Yes. Anytime you're all smelling something, you're also tasting something because odors are particulates. Yeah, because it's in your nose. Because that's, cause that's <clears throat> duty- in the air, in your nose. Exactly. But then, what? So you have a toothbrush cup. Is the particulates are they not getting into the cup and then sitting in there with your toothbrush? Well, my cup is in my medicine cabinet. Oh. I don't just leave it out where everybody can see it. My toothbrush is my business. See, <laughs> <laughs> so your medicine cabinet is essentially a mask for your toothbrush. It's an active bear, a dental dam. Yes, now you're speaking my language. I know. <laughs> Active barrier. Okay, that's smart. I don't think about this. I guess what I'm arguing for is I now under I I'm more an advocate for the toilet being in a separate like little closet in the bathroom versus just open concept. Yeah, I would I'd get on board with that. Yeah. Anyway, well. Oh hi. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that takes care of toilet minute. Uh, <laughs> yes, non-horror, horror week month week continues. Adjacent. Adjac- oh yeah, adjacent. <laughs> continues. Yeah. So uh, this week we're talking about, oh no, I can't do it. We're talking about. We're talking about, <laughs> we're talking about uh, 2016's Lady Macbeth. 2016, a great year. <laughs> a wonderful year. <laughs> Loved it. <laughs> One of the best in recent memory. <laughs> Golly gee. 2016, right? Well, what a different time. What a different time, but 
2024. Anyway, I don't want to get sidetracked with those depressing <laughs> I'm with you. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah. So anyway, and here was one of my thoughts watching this movie that I've seen before. Yeah. And that I love. It brought to mind, bear with me. Well, I started thinking about Thelma and Louise. Mm. <laughs> because I just... It really hit me how stupid the end of that movie is. <laughs> they just keep driving, Thelma. Yeah, like just I was just thinking about the logistics of it and how they just drive off the cliff into the Grand Canyon, <laughs> holding hands. Hats flying off in the wind as the convertible goes over the side. And I was just like, I don't know. I'm like, I get it. There's a point to be made, especially in, you know, 90s cinema where it's like women can't catch a break. Their only option is to kill themselves. Uh, and so that's one thing to be talked about. But just how silly it is and how it was like this incredible girl power moment. <laughs> and they drove off a cliff. And <laughs> And we were inspired. And we found it inspirational and really like this is what the feminists fought for. <laughs> Drive off a cliff together. Drive off a cliff, probably uh, causing irreparable damage to the ecosystem at the bottom of the Grand Canyon. <gasps> uh, just and, and then, you know, people on their rim hikes or whatever have to be like, what's that? Oh, that? <laughs> It's a car with two crumpled bodies in it. Oh but don't God. worry, they wanted to do it. It's empowering. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. I don't know. I just, I guess I thought about, like, because you know how the movie ends on a freeze frame and a fade to white, as all the best movies do. Yes. But then I guess I just thought about, like, if it didn't, at some point the terror would strike them. And so it's like you have the fade to white, but then if it fades back in, you just hear like, ah! Shit. Why did we do this? And then an explosion. What the fuck? As Marianne Faithful plays in the background. I don't know. I think you're onto something. The people of the early 90s, we said, well, when was that? Was that 91? So was it 90, 92? 92, I think. Yeah. So it's like we were just getting Clinton. Maybe. Clinton was playing the saxophone. So we were feeling inspired. We were wearing Women. headbands like Hillary. We were wearing headbands like Hillary. Women can silence themselves of their own accord. We were, you know, I guess, I guess, no, what's more shocking in 1992, 91 is that nobody watched that and said, what about pollution? The pressing problem of the early 90s. They're polluting the Grand Canyon. Don't they get some upward momentum too when they go off? They do, which is. But they don't go off a ramp. <laughs> yeah. There's no evil Knievel. Wouldn't it just have fallen down? It doesn't look as cool. It does not look as cool. Man, just what a silly movie. But that's what we had. We had Thelma and Louise and we had Tawanda in fried oh. green tomatoes. There's no coming for Tawanda in this household. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, bless Tawanda. I was thinking about fried green tomatoes recently also because I was like, what if they remade it now and actually they could do it and make it actually gay? Like it's They could be, be lesbians as Fanny Flag intended. Yes. Uh but then I thought, well, how do you how does one 
answer a problem like Tawanda. <laughs> That's the famous song from the sound of music. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. Right, right? Like, it's just such a 90s kind of feminism that I find, like, uh... Tawanda going and looking at her v- vagina in the mirror. Wrapping herself in saran wrap. <laughs> she does do that! R- road raging out in a parking lot. I just, it's just, I don't know, it's, it's very, uh... Maybe in light of some of the more feminist issues that have been happening lately, and you, but you just look back at different periods of feminism and like what you know in the eighty. Like I have my grandmother's date book from the eighties, her calendar, her daily calendar (gasps) that she got from Virginia Slims (laughs) cigarettes. Oh hell yeah! Like you send in enough of the UPC codes, and then you get a tent or a date book yeah also i would like to say that my grandmother did quit smoking at some Good point for her. but this was before that so she like sent in a whole bunch of virginia and so it's like looking at it every few pages there's like an inspirational feminist message but the woman is smoking yeah because like <laughs> Yeah, because that was their thing, you know, it was like, these are women's cigarettes and women can do anything. That's equality. She can smoke too. Yeah. So it'd be like, Amelia Earhart did this. And it's like some woman dressed but she's smoking. You know what I mean? (laughs) Smoking as she crashes her plane. (laughs) Yeah, that's why she crashed. That's why she crashed. She couldn't find her. She was looking at her lighter fell under the seat. (laughs) Oh, God damn it. God damn it. Where's my lighter? Whoa! Start going off. Yeah, and then it just faded to white. And who knows what happened? Mary and Faithful starts Mary playing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So anyway, uh, feminism, am I right? <laughs> and then we get to 2016, Lady Macbeth, and now we have problematic feminism. Yeah, we it's do. Not, it's not as easy as... Uh, throwing yourself into the grand canyon no no it's really not it's really not it's much more complicated i fucking love this movie <laughs> this movie it's she's perfect right <laughs> perfectly problematic oh absolute but that's what i love about it is it's so complex and you feel without going out of its way to be complex in any way, but it's just it, it 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 brings up a story and it has you rooting for a character while you realize you sh- also probably shouldn't be. Yeah, I, I think women characters don't get to be this complicated and complex. There are big audiences that a film like this won't resonate because it's unpleasant and it's not cut and dry. It's not black and white. It's like who do we have? We have Catherine and Lady Macbeth. And we have Rhonda Johnson in Killer Workout. Thank you. And those are our complicated queens. <laughs> They're the heroes so and the villains. <laughs> the heroes and the villains. Could you imagine Florence Pugh doing the press tour for this at like 20 years old? And she's like, well, I was very inspired by Marsha Carr <laughs> as Rhonda Johnson in <laughs> Killer Workout. It's like, she's a business owner. <laughs> And a workout queen and all this, but also she kills people. You know what I mean? You can't just feel one way about her. So obviously that was a big inspiration for this movie. Complex. It's like cutting into a cantaloupe. 
<laughs> like her skin. It's full of layers and, you know, meaning. Anyway, I don't know how many people have seen this movie. This movie isn't wasn't really talked about when it came out. No. No, this movie doesn't have much of a life, which is very shocking to me. Uh, I I remember this movie came into my life when I saw Midsummer, and I said, I said, who is this queen? And then I looked her up, and then I saw that she had initially made waves in the UK with this movie called Lady Macbeth in 2016. And so I, I rented it. I think I can't remember if this was even right after Midsummer or during the early days of the pandemic. I have no memory. Um, and I was just floored. And I said, this is vastly uncomfortable. And she's amazing. She's incredible in this. I cannot believe she was only 19 when they made it. And I mean, it just like, to me, signals that she's one of the greats. And so you say, well, it's a good thing she's doing Marvel movies now then. You say, thank God, thank God for Marvel. Thank God, Zach Braff. No one has ever been more deserving than Zach Braff. I had to tell myself during this movie, I was like, everyone has a thing, right? Like, Elizabeth Moss has Scientology. Uh, Florence Pugh has Zach Braff. Like, this, to, as Stacey would say, Poe, but he's nerfed. That's right. That's so, right. But she, she is truly... I mean, we already know Florence Pugh's amazing, but literally, why is she doing Marvel movies? Why know. Why aren't people invent? Why did she get nominated for Little Women? Her perform the same year she did Midsummer, the Academy Awards were such cowards that they said, "Well, we'll give her, we'll give her a, a nomination for her role where she just gets married." Well, we'll see what she's. Uh, what is it? Don't worry, darling. I just saw the trailer for that. It looks a little. To me, it looks a little, this ain't your mama's Stepford Wives. That's what Jason watched the trailer and just told me about it. I haven't seen it yet, but I heard it's like Stepford Light. Yeah. But But sexy. Oh, really? Yeah, they do it. Oh, they're like, I'll just die if I don't get that recipe. (laughs) I'll just die if I don't get that boner. (laughs) Oh, are they like sex bot, like fembots? I don't think I don't even know that there's robots. I do enjoy oh. a, an evil gated community, which oh, is yeah. kind of redundant. But I mean, you know, <laughs> there was some made-for-TV movie with John Ritter, back, maybe back in the '90s. I can't remember what it was called, but it's like you know they move to a new neighborhood and you know it's kind of cultish or whatever. So I don't know exactly what the deal is in this movie, but it's like it's sexy and stylish. Oh yeah. So. Oh, that sounds exciting. We'll see. Anyway. Right. Lady Macbeth. Have you guys seen Lady Macbeth? You can rent it on Apple Watch video. It's on, it's, it's rentable. I see. I suggest you watch it and then listen to this. I feel like, I think we have some listeners who have seen it. I feel like it's come up from time to time, um, but it's not widely seen. And uh, I think it's it's certainly not going to appeal to everybody. You have to be okay with some gray areas in your characters. Yeah. Yeah. It's a... I mean, it's a very aggressive gray. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's... But that's what's so fascinating about this is this is... This is white feminism the musical, is it not? I mean, Sans singing and dancing... <laughs> Is there even a score, actually? No. There's like a 
kind of a tone whenever a murder happens this movie reminds me in a lot of ways of portrait of a lady on fire in the yes in the aesthetics of it that like the house is very austere and very plain and they use natural lighting and all of the and there's no score and all of the it has a lot of common elements with portrait it's very confined to its setting yes uh it's about the idea of a woman being trapped within an environment um and you only see her within the bounds of that environment and her attempts to stay alive in that in that kind of isolation and the aesthetics like yes it's a period drama but it's not but it's very plain like portrait was it's not uh your froofy kind of you know what i mean like she's still wearing you know obviously a corset and crinoline and all of this but Everything is very plain and down to earth and a little grubby and Oh yeah, she wears the same dress every day. And there's no there's no Maggie Smith. There's no Lord Bingley. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's none of that. Yeah, yeah. It's an unpleasant movie full of unpleasant people. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I love it. I love this movie. I love it cuz you come out like you come out of it being like, I feel conflicted as a viewer. Mm-hmm. Because it does such a good job of getting you on Catherine's side within the first 30 seconds of this movie. Yes. You get on her side and you're rooting for her and you see the situation she's in. And so your instincts are to like, oh, I hope things go well for her. Unfortunately for her, things going well entails a lot of murder and despicable behavior. <laughs> and unfortunately for the people around her. And, yeah, for the people around her. Uh, and you discover that she's a monster. Um, but also you're holding on to those feelings from the beginning of the film. Yeah. Where you were rooting for her. Yeah. And so it's just really fascinating. We literally don't get characters like this. We're female. We don't get women like this that get to be the hero and the anti-hero. Mm-hmm. At the same time. And you find yourself asking yourself questions of like, oh my God, am I a monster? Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is it, do you have to, do you say, oh, well, you know, it was a different time and she did everything she could to look out for herself. Or do you just say, well... I'm going to apply today's ethics to this and just say, <laughs> canceling Lady Macbeth. <laughs> well, I think that's, I mean, I think that's what it comes down to is she does whatever she has to do to hold on to whatever makes her happy. Yeah. And so there's something to be lauded in that, but that comes at the expense of everybody else's happiness or their lives or their well-being mm-hmm. or anything else. And so... It's, it's, she's both sides of it, you know? Yeah. It's, you can't just say like, ah, oh, she's a feminist queen. Cause it's just like, it's more complicated than that. <laughs> she's a monster. Cause she's a fucking monster. <laughs> she absolutely is. But the film, I think she does end up punished, but also she doesn't. Like this is based on a novella. Yeah. Lady Macbeth of Metsensk by Nikolai Leskov. It's Russian. So, you know, it's going to be a feel good tale. It's just, just joie de vivre. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but in the novella, she dies. She kills herself. Um, she does get punished. She does pay for it, et cetera, et cetera. 
Um, and the writer of this, Alice Birch, this is written by a woman who was like, you know what? I've seen women get punished for being bad. I've seen, you know what I mean? And I wanted to make something different. Hell yeah. And so she did. And we get a character that we rarely, rarely, rarely get on screen. Yep. Well, and what I love about Alice Birch's screenplay, um, and I love that she was like a playwright that just, just broke this psychotic masterpiece of a film. Yeah. But um, she also stays true to the text because basically there's only three more chapters after, or four more chapters in the original novella that pick up. And like the difference is she doesn't get taken in or get blamed. But the story basically follows that same track from there. And all the events that happen in the movie happen in the novella. She just is like, well, what if it ended here? And what if we are left with no moral pronouncements or or resolution for this character? And you are just left as an audience member to deal with it. Have fun. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think she, I think there are punishments at the end. She's, you know what I mean? But it's not it's still not black and white she still has her freedom she still has yeah choice i have questions about how she'll be able to survive yeah um but yeah yeah absolutely she doesn't she's not going in and being hanged like some other people yeah she's not imprisoned she's not in a 65 thunderbird going over the cliff (laughs) (laughs) although that would be an ending come on alternate ending cowards they they were too afraid to go where ridley scott went yeah it's just it's it's like uh you know the history of like queer cinema where it's like well you could have a gay character but they have to die they have mm-hmm. to be punished for it and it's like you know women morally gray if you even want to call her gray uh women have also always had to be punished somehow yeah. at the end no matter how deus ex machina their punishment is they always have to be punished. And this this time, it's just like she has to live with what she did for as long as she can. And she's abandoned mm-hmm. and pregnant. Uh, for all intents and purposes, she wins. She gets away with it. Yeah, she gets exactly what she was after in the end. Boy, oh boy. <laughs> what a mess. It's a mess. So Catherine, I who I like to, I hope, I want to think is named after um, Catherine from Wuthering Heights, even though this, it's from a novella from around a similar time. But still, I just love this because it's also so gothic. It's so like classically gothic and brutal, a la Wuthering Heights. Like, I, I think people think of these gothic stories and period pieces in the way that they've been informed by like film adaptations that have made them very lush and beautiful and romantic they focus on the romantic side of gothicism and not like just the unceasing brutal horror of being alive at this time well she goes what she goes for her strolls on the moors and i let me tell you i ascended to heaven because the moors are it for me baby i'm like you know what give me some consumption while i'm out here like I'm, i'm just into it like i just i want to go i I could live in a house on the moors and be totally fine. Oh, you go on your stroll in the moors. You 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 cough into your handkerchief. There's a little blood. <laughs> you, there's vampires walking around, and you go back to the house, and then someone puts you in a bath so you don't die from having gone outside. Like, oh, <laughs> just the glory. So it's ve- it's very Wuthering Heights in that way. That's why I love it. So Catherine, 
she is literally sold into a marriage. Jason asked me, oh, is this an arranged marriage? I was like, was there any other kind <laughs> up until recently? Um, she sold in, into an arranged marriage for a, a plot of land that was barely worth the money. Um, her husband is an absolute piece of shit. What was his name? Uh, 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 Alexander. Alexandra. Um, so she is sold into marriage with him. Uh, on their first wedding night, he makes her take off her clothes and she's standing in front of him fully nude and he just stares at her and then he just sits down, faces away from her and gets in the bed and goes to sleep. Uh, he's total misogynist piece of shit monster that cannot even, like, I think, I don't think, Jason asked, like, as we were watching this, is he gay? I don't think he's gay. I think he is just so... Women are so um, objects in his world and just things that you just exist with or deal with. Yeah, they're they're just there. They're another piece of furniture. It's not a person to be loved. He absolutely despises her. And so he can't, I think his, he can look at her naked and he can, like in another scene, he can masturbate while she stands facing the, the wall, Blair Witch style, but he can't even fuck her because he is that, his his confused feelings for women and his disgust for women as a as a sex object are so entwined that ultimately she can't even get any satisfaction out of this relationship. It's so brilliant the way it's set up. Like when the the film begins in the middle of their wedding, and it's a close up on Catherine from behind. She has her veil on, and you just see her looking at him. And I just, I love the way it's staged. And I mean, Florence Pugh just fucking sells it of like, she has oh, yeah. no idea who this man is. She has, she has zero, less than zero agency in this. Mm-hmm. She's not invested in it at all. She's not pretending to be invested in it at all. No. She's, she's barely singing along with whatever fucking church shit they got going on she'll stop and turn around and look at the other what a priest or whatever singing along and she's just bewildered by the whole process yeah and i just i again i've said it on this show i don't know how many times but i just appreciate filmmaking like this that just puts us in the moment and with these little signifiers tells us so much without having to I don't, like, they don't have to talk about the marriage and all of the, You know what I mean? It's just brilliantly done. Oh, and there's so little dialogue, too. I mean, it's similar to Portrait of Lady on Fire, this is a very silent film in a way. You get, it's it's about this ambient sound and discomfort and tension and the, what everything that goes unspoken or just can't be said. Um, and so, so much of it has to be relayed through gesture and through expression. And Florence Pugh, as we all know from the the entirety of Midsummer, and especially the last shot where she just smiles is a master of expression. Um, so she's, she's with shitty Alexander. He goes off because, uh, there was like an explosion at a thing or something and he's off on business or something. My, my Blu-ray skipped and it kept skipping. I learned as I was watching this, that the Blu-ray I bought two years ago that I still haven't watched is very fucked up. (laughs) Oh, nice. So there were whole sequences that would just skip ahead five seconds each time. So there's some kind of explosion. I remember. (laughs) That's really all they say. He has to go tend to. So he has to co- yeah, tend to some business stuff. So then we get the joy of meeting father-in-law. Uh, Boris. Who is, Boris, who is also... I mean, honestly, we have to give these actors their due, too, because they are incredible at being absolute despicable pieces of shit. 
Boris is an absolute monster. He comes he comes to the house. He just mistreats her. He's, he just walks over everything. He treats everyone as property. It's very important, I think, when you talk about this movie and think about this movie and watch it to understand that literally every single person in this movie is a thing um, and is property. So there are, the, there are the two men that are in charge. They are the only people in this film. And, and you could argue that Alexander, much less so than Boris, his father. Yeah, because he's the patriarch. Mm-hmm. He's the one that he'll come into the house and he's the one talking about uh, his money and his property. He bought, he bought Catherine for Alexander. Uh, everything, is, this is all his property. Um, Catherine, one day, she, she has this kind of weird relationship with Anna, who is a... Uh, uh, maid in the house that looks after her and like scrubs her and bathes her and dresses her and wakes her up every morning and her nursemaid yeah her nursemaid and anna uh anna just kind of has a strange relationship with her and i think anna also understands that Catherine is also property and also has to be kept up just in the same way she keeps up different parts of the house um one day Catherine goes off and she she follows Anna off to this building, like a farm building, and she finds a bunch of the staff and the the helpers, basically, all, like, kind of canoodling. Anna is revealed to be naked in this blanket that they've hoisted up from the ceiling, and there's something going on. Catherine yells at everybody. She gets, she makes them unloose Anna. Anna runs off and is shamed, and Catherine is kind of taken by this, uh, this man there, Sebastian. She starts seeing Sebastian. They start fucking. Uh, father-in-law comes home. Father-in-law finds out. So Catherine essentially poisons his tea one day. And then he goes off into another room to check on something. She shuts the door. He collapses and dies in the other room. And then she sends Anna to go to the doctor. Father-in-law is dead. She holds a funeral for him. Husband comes back home. He finds out about her and Sebastian. Uh, Anna has also now gone mute because Anna was the one that told the father-in-law about Sebastian because the father-in-law also found out. Uh, Anna, Anna's mute. Fa- da- Alexander comes home. He confronts her about her being a whore and opening up, up, up her legs so wide and everything. She brings Sebastian into the room because they were just in bed together. They end up getting in a scuffle. Sebastian is being attacked and Catherine just like grabs this candlestick or something and just beats the shit out of alexander until he's dead um they bury his corpse sebastian buries his corpse Catherine goes out and i think one of the most visceral sequences of the movie is her just taking the horse out under that bridge and just shooting the horse oh god and watching her get blown backwards a la pearl in x <laughs> yeah when she shoots that horse and then watching her just like crying as she's trying to bury this horse using her hands with dirt oh it's just a mess. Uh, she thinks everything's going to be fine. It's just going to be her and Sebastian now and Anna the Mute who won't tell anybody. Next thing she knows, Alexander has a ward because he fathered a child um, with this woman. And so the the grandmother and the child come to live at the house. They take over. They take over her room. And uh, Catherine is assumed to be a widow now because they've just ruled that he's dead. Ultimately, now, the the last thing standing between her and Sebastian's happiness is this child and the mother that are, have now occupied their home. So, one night, 
after the child has fallen ill because he went outside. Um, <laughs> Catherine is, convinces the mother to go to sleep. She goes into the room. She brings in Sebastian. They smother the child. The camera sits down in front of you, in front of this, and does not relent as you just see the back of Florence Pugh. Oh. She just smothers this child, and Sebastian holds down the legs. And it is some great kid acting. Just like in The Witch, we get some brilliant kids acting fucked up things to them, happening to themselves. Kid dies. Uh, they they have an inquest that morning. Sebastian comes in and he just admits to everything that she was responsible for all the deaths that for the for the father in law for Alexander for this child that she made him do it that he was suffocating her, and she just says he's lying, and she's a white woman. Sebastian is not. Uh, Sebastian is black, as is Anna. And actually, that's very crucial information that I should have led with from the beginning. (laughs) But um, she says he's lying. They believe her. She says Anna is in on it, too. For whatever reason, they must have planned this as a a pack together. Maybe they were found out. And then at the end of the movie, she's also become pregnant with Sebastian's baby. By the end of the movie, Anna is sitting there alone, pregnant. Her entire staff has left. She has been vindicated and she is she is innocent while Sebastian and Anna are shackled and laying down in the back of a wagon and wheeled off to their deaths. It is so, so fucked up. It's so brutal. <laughs> it's fucking brutal. Ay, ay, ay. It's so fucked up. It is a relentlessly nasty movie. And so once again, we are watching a film where you see a woman who is absolutely stripped of personhood, treated as an object. Her own husband can't even fuck her. She is grasping for any kind of happiness. She finds it with another man. They kind of reach this weird made-up pretend moment of playing house and being happy together. But ultimately, she has to use the fact that she is a white woman to her benefit and sends off these two black people to their deaths. And as a viewer, because you've seen all this bullshit, like you said earlier, you've seen all that all that introduction to her character getting you on her side, you don't want anything to happen to her, but you know at what cost it's going to not happen to her. And just the way that this, the way that this makes you think about, well, it, it kind of tricks you into empathizing with her, but it help, also helps you understand how shitty patriarchy is. And classes, and all of these, and sexes, all of the racism, all of these isms that hegemony have created for us to battle with each other. So it kind of helps you understand, well, I see why a lot of white women were really shitty in the past and still continue to be pretty shitty. Because it's like when, when one person is t- has a part of their personhood taken away and a whole group of people, groups of people have it taken away, you're going to battle for any bit you can get. Yeah, this, this shows us the lengths that she has to go to and yes she's a villain but it's kind of it's why is she driven to those lengths part of it is just selfishness she wants to be happy and she'll do whatever it takes she'll kill a child if the child stands between her and her own happiness the child that she otherwise kind of gets along with and likes it seems yeah i think if they could have had a way to cohabitate she would have been fine with it yeah she didn't really care. But why is she in this position to begin with? 
And where does it all come from? And why is it so much easier to just take the white woman's word, like take her at her word with zero evidence? You know, there's nothing to back up her claims. It's just, it's literally her word against Sebastian's because Anna still can't speak. Yeah. And that's exactly what she said. She's like, well, ask Anna. She won't say anything different because she's mute and she can't. Oh God. God, that performance. Um, Who is this actor? Naomi Aki as Anna, that that last shot of her, I mean, before she's in the wagon. Oh, where she's just standing there. When they bring her into the inquest. Oh, God. And she is, like, because she knows she can't, she physically can't say anything, and watching just all the horror and watching all the pain and just letting it, just the acceptance, too. That she doesn't want to accept, but watching her just like silently cry as she just stands in front of them. It, incredible. Even if she physically could speak, she knows it won't, wouldn't do any good. That's the thing. It, it Because Catherine, as a white woman, is more like a person than they are. She is less of a thing while still being a thing. Yeah, it's just like the hierarchy of bullshit and, you know, people being, being willing to step on those that are lower in self-preservation like being driven to this and it's just it's not Tawanda checking out her own <laughs> vagina it's not that simple kind of like oh Tawanda got excited and like ran somebody over in a parking lot or whatever it's not uh, you know I'm older I've got better insurance yeah <laughs> yeah part besides the incredible performances and the artistry that went in this film and the vast discomfort that one experiences watching it and, and empathizing despite all of everything you know with these characters um i think it is really important because it shows how we have gotten to where we got we where we're at now and how these things still function in, in a very similar way because not much has really changed like we've we've some of us started getting rights in the last like 60 years <laughs> but nothing has essentially structurally changed. And, and I think that's, it's really important not to, to always be aware of history and to understand like, this is from an era where people were not human beings. And this is literally a rat race just to, to survive. I'm trying not to also be like a Trump both sides or here. <laughs> and like say, well, white women, you know, they did what they could, but like, but I mean that that's what that's what's so juicy about the complexity of this film. I think. I think you can understand why somebody does. I, I think understanding why somebody does something or what led them to that point isn't endorsing what they did. That's true. But I think in today's world we get that confused. You know. Yeah. Well. But to even talk about it or want to make a movie about it is can be endorsing it. I don't know. Well, it ha- we just want the the headline in the tweet, and then we, you know, that's all we want. And I, yeah, I either feel A or I feel B, nothing in between. Yes. And if I feel A, I don't want to acknowledge that B even exists. You know. Yes, absolutely. But people are complicated. Newsflash. <laughs> Snowflakes. People are complicated. Oh no! <laughs> Listen up, snowflakes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know which pull quote I want on the DVD more. If it's <laughs> "Listen up, snowflakes, people are complicated," Stacy Palmer, <laughs> or it's to it's not Tawanda, Stacy Palmer. 
<laughs> not your mama's Tawanda, that's for sure. <laughs> but I, that's one of the things I love about it, because it's just so rare. It's so rare in movies to get this. And so I just I, yeah. I embrace it even harder when you finally do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. To have a film that allows for the complexity of human experience and the 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 enraging uh, duality of being a person. She's evil. Well, I don't know that she's evil. She's a monster. I'll say that. She's a monster. But much like Rhonda Johnson, she's just a woman trying to make do. She's trying to make do. But that's the other thing, too, though, is look at how we get. I do wonder, do you think that the film is also saying something about, um, hmm, about internalizing these uh, and allowing like how we the structures only exist because we reinforce them. Right. Mm hmm. To some, I mean, there's also power and money, which really affects it. But we, there is reinforcing. There is what happens when we embody and, and internalize and make real the thing. We we replicate the, the the power structure that is preventing us from achieving, you know, and being liberated. So I'm curious about like with Anna and Sebastian, would this have happened? Oh no, I'm not trying to blame them, but like, would this have happened if they had just been okay with her killing her father-in-law and her husband? <laughs> because clearly they had to go it gets more complicated when the kid dies yeah sebastian gives her an ultimatum he begins sleeping in the barn she's like come inside and fuck me and he's like no i'm sleeping in the barn while that kid is there i can't be in the house so he you know essentially is giving her an ultimatum it's either me or the kid so she says okay i'm gonna kill a kid yeah and so given her history he can't be surprised at the outcome. He willingly takes part in it. He feels bad about it and confesses, et cetera, et cetera. But he does it just the same she did. Exactly. I mean, and even even in his confession, when he just storms in the room and just tells everybody what happened, he's saying, like, she suffocated me. She forced me to do this stuff. And it's like, you also got to fuck her a lot. He wanted the money in the nice house, too. Yeah. He wanted to be Lord of the Manor, and when that was taken away from him because of the presence of a child, mm-hmm. he was okay with killing the child until he freaked out. And then it's interesting that there is still, there's still some misogyny in his choices there. There's also like, well, why did Anna, why did Anna freak out so much over the father-in-law being killed? He was a monster to both of them. I mean, you could argue, well, Anna's a good person. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's one good person in this. It's Anna, who, I mean, like, not to downplay what happens, but it's it's like she comes in the room. uh, Catherine has poisoned the father-in-law and locked him in a room. He is trying to get out of the room and actively dying while Catherine tells Anna to sit down and tell me about your family and pretends to have a normal conversation with Anna, who she is not interested in having a conversation with at all. She's only doing this. It's fucking sick and perverted for her to, to make this woman sit down and tell me about your family while this man is pounding and scratching at the door. There's nothing worse than listening to an animal trapped in a trap. Mm. trying to get out of it and slowly dying. And she waits until he drops dead and then tells Anna to hurry off to get a doctor. Like, she is fucking so traumatized that she goes mute. Yeah. And she knows that because she was the one that told him about 
Sebastian and Catherine that she led to his death, and now she is further implicated by uh, not not taking part in it, but not help, not being allowed to help. Like, I think she probably took... There's also the scene where... Like, I don't know what is happening with Anna and the other servant in the barn where we first meet Sebastian and all of this, but... I mean, it, she's naked in the sheet? It, yeah, it doesn't feel consensual. And at the least, it feels like she's being exploited. Hmm. That maybe she went there to fool around. But to me, it's like she's in a barn with a group of men, and there are echoes of the accused... Where it's like, yes, this woman is dancing provocatively up against the pinball machine, and then all the guys are raping her. It yeah. feels like that. Like, maybe they went out there and they were flirting with the farmhands, and the next thing you know, she's naked and bound and suspended from the ceiling. And they're calling her a hog and stuff. And they're calling her a hog. But then there's also, like, I wasn't sure how to read that, too, because then when he says that, and, like, why would he show that to Catherine? Because Catherine doesn't even seem to notice at first, and he's just like, oh no, look. And then he even, he says the whatever about the hog, and then he slaps her, and it sounds like she kind of giggles over it. Yeah, this is, this is what I, it's like, later, after this all happens, there's a scene of Catherine in the tub, and Anna is scrubbing her back, and she's scrubbing her too hard. And Catherine <gasps> snaps at her. And to me, that is... Anna, uh, Catherine completely disregards the fact that Anna might be traumatized by what was going on in the barn. She mm. she goes out there and is turned on by this roguish lad, this filthy man. She starts flirting with him. Meanwhile, your nursemaid has been traumatized and you don't even acknowledge it. Like, she doesn't treat Anna like a person at all. Yeah. Well, and Anna tries to talk, tell it like she has feels that she has to explain what was happening and Catherine won't even let her and just says, what was his name? And so I think that comes out in that bathtub scene where she's scrubbing her too hard. That's her scrubbing herself. Scrubbing herself and maybe she knows she's hurting Catherine. Oh, yeah. But how else can she possibly get back at the, the white woman of the manor? Yeah. But that's her her duty to scrub her. Yeah, and so I think that's partially what would lead her to tell on Catherine and Sebastian. Yeah, see, I could I could see it that way. I also because of like that giggle laugh or whatever that I still was like, I, the group component definitely adds that more of I think where you're going. I think that definitely lends to that. But then I also was like, or is she also was she did she was she kind of did she sort of have a relationship with sebastian and now she feels that now that's been taken from her too she's afraid of him every time she sees him that's absolutely true because then and and he'll be like i just want to talk but she's like terrified to be near him you're right i don't know if it was a giggle or if it was a cry i just can't imagine any any woman is gonna say like yeah put me in this take my clothes off and put me in this sling in the middle of the work day and let this group of men, like, poke at me and call... Like, I don't... This was not a consensual, like, we mm-hmm. were having fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. And then looking at how Catherine comes into that environment, and she just immediate... The first chance that she... Because we have only... This is the first time that we see the other side of Catherine. Yes. Because up until then, we are only feeling sympathy for this woman that is not even an object to her husband that wants no part of her she can't go outside she has to wear the same dress every day she doesn't get to do anything except just get yelled at by a man that hates her 
And then the first time we see her leave that setting, she immediately turns that exact power back at the at at the the, the staff basically, mm-hmm. and just goes power hungry and exercises exactly what's been done to her on them. Yeah, and doesn't even notice that that's been going on with Anna or Care. Yeah, and she doesn't want Sebastian's name so that she can get him fired or punish him for what he did. She wants his name so she can fuck him. Because he's also a thing to her. And I think that's what's really important about him being black, too. Or mixed race, or, like, he's definitely brown. <laughs> like, that that he is, he's, like, just this exoticized masculine thing for her, also. Another object. Yeah, it's not about, I mean, for all of her, like, do you love me? We're in love, blah, blah, blah. And it's never about him. It's about whatever is making her happy in the moment. Yeah. Oh, there is a shot in this movie that I fucking love. I mean, this whole movie's gorgeous, despite being so ugly at its heart. <laughs> but, like, um, there is that shot where they're laying together on the bed. And it just says, I mean, the power in the relationship is so interesting through just this shot where she is laying fully clothed in her dress all the way down to her shoes. And he is completely nude on top of her. It's just like that shot, like we just, nothing is said. We just see that shot for like 10 seconds of them just laying there breathing. And it just cuts away. Mm-hmm. A nasty movie. It's a, oh, it's a nasty movie. It's a nasty movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned the witch with uh, the child actor, Teddy, the little kid who gets killed. Because like the witch, I don't know if you heard this or read it or whatever but no. like the way eggers filmed with the child actors in the witch here they made it a game because his mother he was only like six when they shot it and his mother didn't want him to have to experience like getting murdered yeah so they made it a game for him he had no idea what was going on and it is all one long take like a five minute take or whatever and so she, w- Florence Pugh was giving him signals throughout it. They worked out where these beat changes would happen. And so it was like, okay, when she touches your arm, you have to try to get over the back of the couch as hard as you can. And oh, wow. when she touches here, you have to lay there with your eyes closed and don't move for this long. So they just totally made it a game for him. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Right? The kid is so good. But I mean, even... even... Even just playing it as a game, it's so... It's just the way it's shot and seeing those two actors holding him... Oh, it's one of the most brutal things in any movie. It's brilliant. Like, it really brings... Like, there's no... You, as a viewer, you can't deny their monstrousness. You know what I mean? Uh, 100%. You like, there's no, there's no relenting. It's a five-minute take, ten-minute take, and you see it from beginning to end, and... Unlike so many movie deaths where somebody gets choked or smothered or strangled or whatever, it actually, it takes a long time to die. And you think it's happened, but then you see more kicking and then you hear more like, (laughs) it's fucked up. Yeah, it's real fucked up. They are literally Heathcliff and Kathy, just two awful fucking vampires coming in to just literally murder a child in front of you. And, and Emily Bronte saw this and she said, well done. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well done. Yeah. And the horse acting also. Thank you. That was not CGI. Florence Pugh talked about that. That the horse was actually an incredible actor. 
<laughs> and the trainer told her, you have three, the horse knows you have three takes. The horse will do three takes. And that's all you have. The horse knows. Yeah. And so she said the first take, they did it and she shot it. And the horse is such a good actor and reacted so realistically that she started like bawling and couldn't handle it because it felt like she had just shot the horse, even though she didn't. And like the horse fell over and all of this. And so she was really traumatized by it. And they were like, cut. Okay, that's try number one. Now we only have two tries because the horse knows it's three and it's only going to do three. Oh, my God. So she, as an actor, she had to do these monstrous things. And the way they were all filmed, like the horse is all one take, too. It's like it must have been a pretty taxing process for her, I would think. Oh, yeah. I'm... (laughs) Could you imagine? You know how, like, some of us spend our late teens and early 20s, like, you know, just drinking? But, like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to spend them killing a child, shooting a horse, uh, tripping out on mushrooms, and burning your boyfriend alive in a bear suit. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And yeah. then also having to date Zach Braff. Like, wow, Florence. She's, good been, job. Through it. She's been through it. <laughs> She's been through it. Yeah. I mean, what an incredible opportunity to get to play this kind of role. But still, it doesn't, I'm sure it wasn't easy. No, no, and I mean the the pain she. I mean that 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 the end of the film when she just sits there, she is dead inside. Yeah, I like she the little just... like wisps of hair that are out of place, like something yes. something so small like that is so because we've seen this shot repeatedly. This, sh- this throughout the whole movie, this movie does a really good job of showing someone being bored, but we viewers don't end up bored. Mm-hmm. It really, in the early goings, it really shows the sort of ennui and apathy and just abject boredom of this woman. She doesn't have any, there's no music in the house. There are no books in the house. She doesn't get to draw. Like, you you know, you look at, like, a handmaiden or something. It's like, well, at least she fucking got to take art lessons. Like, Catherine has nothing. She is told to just stay in the house and be a wife. But she can't even get fucked. She can't even get fucked. She has nothing. And so it's like, how do you convey that to the viewer in a way that's not going to make us want to, you know. Die. Die. But you're riveted. Yeah. And so when you get that last shot, which we've seen throughout the film, but this time it's like there's some hairs out of place. Her facial expression is almost the same but different enough that it just tells you everything about her situation at the end of the movie yeah oh it's so good yeah it's so fucking good that i i I, thinking about that too i had major um callbacks to mrs park in parasite Mm -hmm. and you talking about her just how we see her just asleep because she's bored and in this, I mean, it's the exact same thing, but like in this, she also, there's, it's a, it's not funny, but there's a great physicality to it because she'll fall asleep sitting in that gorgeous settee couch or whatever thing she's sitting in every shot. But, um, she's, she just starts falling early in the movie. She just sits there, sits there, sits there and starts falling asleep until she just falls asleep. But she, because of the corset, she stays perfectly upright and doesn't move at all. And just her head sinks down. Watching her get to let loose and get to, when she gets wine drunk before she has 
dinner with father-in-law with boris and watching her just like (laughs) just like wobble into the room and just kind of laugh the whole time love it there's so the acting is just incredible across the board and immediate and in there is another instance of her you know throwing anna to the wolves like you know catherine's the one who drank all the wine while father-in-law was away and anna gets blamed for it and catherine just sits there smiling yeah and doesn't do anything Anna has to be treated, if you're going to act like an animal, I'm going to treat you like an animal. Just because she doesn't know what happened to the wine. Just because the cook said there's no more wine. So then he makes her get on her knees, or on all fours, and walk out of the room like a dog. And Catherine just sits there drunk watching, kind of like, Absolutely hideous movie that I just cannot get enough of. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't know, it's hard because there's so many movies that are just flat out brutal that like you do not want to watch. But this movie, because it's so well made and the acting is so good, and because it plays with my allegiances like Real Housewives, (laughs) Erica Jane is Lady Macbeth. And I'm, (laughs) you know? Yeah, your fave today might smother a child tomorrow. You never know. what have you done (laughs) you never know yeah boy what a ride i love non-horror horror adjacent week month week it's a great week month week adjacent week month isn't it it really is these movies like literally everything we've watched has been so unsettling that i i can't think of other movies that we've watched that are horror that are like as unsettling as all of these films so far yeah what am i gonna do watch halloween ends i mean yes because of those bangs but (laughs) it's a lindsey wallace queer horror icon thank you but i mean horror who needs it just give me Florence Pugh in a blue dress. Yeah, I'm good. And I'm on the edge of my seat in terror. I mean, uh, Freddy Krueger next to this woman? Please. I know he was a child killer, but did we ever see it? No. <laughs> <laughs> Technically, in the beginning of Freddy versus Jason, we have a flashback to it. Mm. It's so strange that horror movies tend to be very it's very rare that they will kill a child it it, it rare 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 rarely happens on screen oh it always cuts away even oh nope i'm not gonna tell you a movie i recently saw yeah they always cuts away they don't show you that yeah oh i wonder what movie but uh (laughs) (laughs) sorry but here we have an uncut like you are as a viewer you are confronted with this yeah, you're not given the option of looking away. <laughs> no. Suck on that, Freddy Krueger. For real. Yeah. Catherine. Catherine. Give me, give me Catherine versus Jason. <laughs> I know who'd win. Me as a viewer. <laughs> wow. <laughs> With all that said, Stacy, are you ready to take... That beautiful maven of a character. (laughs) And place her head on the chopping block? Yeah. (laughs) 
This is the voice I use when I'm wooing the ladies. <laughs> when you go to Whispers Bar. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so what brings you to innuendos? <laughs> What's your sign? <laughs> so if you're not speaking to them in Russian or or they're not did you when you walked up to Kelly who did you start talking like that can we talk about your backwards suspenders please (laughs) in Friday the 13th part 8 Jason takes Manhattan 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 yeah well <laughs> it's, like, it's like my diaphragm is on fire. <laughs> yeah. It's so yeah. funny. To oh, dos vidania, padruga. Как живешь? Меня зовут Стасия, и я люблю говорить по-русски. Oh my god, why? Yeah. I well, you, you should do an audio. We could do a cross promo. See, we always need to be thinking like this. We could do a cross promo of this episode with the Lady Macbeth of Matinsk. <laughs> you could do an audio book where you read it as our new queen. <laughs> and then Catherine held the pillow over the kid's face. <laughs> and the baby died. The baby died. <laughs> Chapter two. oh it's so much pain i have to massage my breastplate (laughs) okay meredith marks (laughs) i want answers i want answers i am going if i was nancy pelosi I would not try to, uh, you know, stand up for women's rights. I would launch a congressional investigation into Meredith Mark's breastplate and what happened to that footage. January 6th, we know nothing's going to come of it. So can we investigate whether or not Meredith Marks was wearing a Spirit Halloween plastic breastplate in her confessional on The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City Season 2? That feels like something that we would be able to achieve. Yes, finally. <laughs> finally, we could get something pushed through Congress. Yeah. Because no matter which side of the aisle you're on, everybody wants to know the truth. Breastplates are bipartisan. They are. It's a bar- bipartisan issue. Mm-hmm. The chopping block. Here on Gay Lords of Darkness, it's a question and answer game. We present each other with three categories of horror movie related trivia. We choose our category, we then answer five questions within the respective chosen category. We have ten seconds to answer each individual question, unless one of us calls out, I want the wig. In which case, Meredith Mark's breastplate <laughs> from the Real Housewives <laughs> of Salt Lake City. <laughs> descends upon thy decolletage and you are gifted an additional 10 seconds because our non-binary executioner the heads they says hey what happened to that footage andy said we were gonna talk about it (laughs) if you win congratulations you have a new breastplate if you lose good job there you go uh last time you knew who did what yeah not this time though this time you don't nope (laughs)
No. Is it willful ignorance? Who can say? Well, I am in. I am literally like I am pushing on my ribs because something about that character makes me laugh so hard, so oh, fast. Oh, okay. So I don't think I can answer right now in a right state of mind. Okay. So I will ask you questions. Lay them on me, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Who is she? I just love her. I don't know. We don't know her name. <laughs> We know nothing about her except that she is a legend. <laughs> she is a dream. She spreads disinformation. Yep. For no fun. time for snowflakes. <laughs> okay, Stacy, you have three all deep discount categories coming Woo-hoo! back at you. That's right. That's right. Everything must go. Your first returning category is too hot for tv parentheses that's why these are movies in which i describe bonkers sex scenes in horror and you just name the movies that oh. the bonkers sex scene is in well one of them there's uh, some thriller adjacent but you know it's 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 bonkers sex scenes these are you know you, okay you, you got eyes your second returning category is crocagator tick tock tick tock movies about killer gators and crocs uh. what okay uh. it's just it's that literally... is a tortured category uh. name no no the, the category is croc gator that's the description the description is tortured i see <laughs> okay it's very straightforward um uh oh i don't have x in there well now you know one of the answers that it's not and your third returning category is the real housewives of beverly horror trivia at the intersection of horror movies and the real housewives of beverly hills you know these films you know these housewives your categories are too hot for tv parentheses that's why these are movies crocagator or the real housewives of beverly horror one now that we talked about meredith marks i got housewives on the brain so you know what that means i'm gonna (laughs) pick the one about the housewives fabulous well remember how fitting not only can you call out for the wig and get a breastplate instead you also have karen huger's unreliable wig that's right which gives you a random amount of time to answer questions should you run out of breastplate Okay. I think you're going to get all of these. These are vastly uncomplicated. I think you're going to get all these. Okay. All right. Real Housewives of Beverly Horror, question one. This ultimate mean girl from the house on Sorority Row turned out to be one of the most level-headed housewives in the history of the series. Oh, God. Oh, no. My brain. Oh, no. Shut down. My brain has shut down. I want the wig. Okay. Uh, Oh no. I keep wanting to say Elaine McDonald. Eileen Davidson. of my skull it was like it just went completely smooth as soon as you asked the question (laughs) completely smooth i remembered nothing for like 
Eight seconds. I couldn't probably have even told you my own name if you asked. That's why I had to tell you to get the wig. Yeah. Because I knew you could get this. Yes. Granted, the wig was at like 11 seconds, but as you have been, you have done, I had to, I've always depended on the kindness of strangers <laughs> and you have done me a service over the last couple because this, you know, deep discount shopping block, the rules are up in the air. <laughs> so you got that. What did I, Eileen, what did I call it? Eileen McDonald. Elaine McDonald, I think I said. Elaine, yeah, you said it. I love, but I love that it's beautiful how brains work because they are actively trying to destroy us at all times, right? Yeah. So I love that you spent forever trying to get that, and then you said Elaine McDonald, Eileen Davis. <laughs> yeah, it triggered the right thing. Sometimes you have oh. to you have to find the key to unlock the door. You know. Oh no! Okay. Good job. Uh, this does not bode well. No, you're going to get these. You're going <laughs> to get these. <laughs> yeah. Number two. Long before she testified to Congress about the Yulin Dog Meat Festival and punished Kyle for being a good friend, this pink pathological liar was fodder for 1978's Killer's Moon. Lisa Van de Pump. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Number three, like Carlton the Witch, Joyce Gerard was too boring to make it past one season on Beverly Hills. But in 2017, she did go on to appear in this entirely unwelcome third franchise entry featuring a monster with a vanity plate. Jeepers Creepers 3? Ding, 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 ding! She's Can you that? believe that? Can what? you believe that? Isn't that fucking weird? That is really two worlds colliding. It doesn't make any sense. Like, like, I had to dramaturgically exhaust my awareness of housewives and horror films just to get that answer. And I said, wait, you're telling me this? Because there were four that obviously had done horror films, but then I never saw this one coming. So, number four. Denise Richards is a perfect queen, a mother to all living things, and a fan of tequila and happy endings. But she got an unhappy ending in what 2001 slasher throwback? Valentine. Ding, 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 ding. Valentine. I like that that's getting uh, reevaluated. It is. It's a great movie. Yes, it is. Also, Denise Richards in that film, like this was just a couple years after wild things and she plays like she plays by all intents for all intents and purposes like the quote-unquote slutty friend and yet she is never punished for it and she owns her sexuality and is so cool Mm -hmm. it's a very feminist film Mm -hmm. for all the money big money baby mama's gonna get a new pair of shoes question five with the added help of archival footage Kyle Richards appears as Lindsay Wallace in how many Halloween films? <laughs> Halloween 1 and 2, Kills, other one, oh no, 3? Ding, 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 ding! Congratulations! Oh, I see. Kyle Richards appears as Lindsay Wallace in three Halloween films. Exactly that, 1, 2, and new. Oh. You did it! You're a winner, baby! Yay! 
Yay, smooth brain! Didn't stop me! (laughs) (laughs) You were saved by both the Meredith Marks breastplate and your extensive awareness of Kyle Richards' portrayal on film. Thank you. Thank you, finally. My double major pays off. (laughs) (laughs) In breastplates and Kyle Richards. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Okay. Your turn, Anthony. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so excited and terrified. My ribs still hurt and my diaphragm. <laughs> These categories are also old because it is our continuing fire sale. <laughs> um, Shopping block, it's, it's amazing. It has not burned down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. Category one, I think, well, I gave this a new title. The new title of this category is To Avoid Fainting, Keep Repeating. It's only a tagline. <laughs> because the old category name made no sense uh, in this category I give you a horror movie tagline a famous horror movie tagline you tell me the movie right oh yeah wasn't the title it made it seem like it was something else yeah <laughs> it was yeah it was basically like these aren't taglines or something like that and you know <laughs> it was like you stupid it's okay. not in, in space no one can hear you tagline <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <sighs> the night tagline came home. <laughs> <laughs> Category two. <clears throat> Choo choo, bitch. <laughs> this category is all about uh, horror movies that take place on or around trains. Oh. I, I describe the movie. You tell me the name of the movie. <laughs> and category three. No, really. It's the 70s, I swear. Uh, In this one, this is about uh, horror movies that are supposed to take place in another time period. And the way they let us know is through the use of popular songs. And so I give you the name of the popular song. You tell me the movie uh, that features the song. A period movie that features a song. Okay. Does that make sense? Oh, so it has to be a period movie. Well, yeah, they're all period movies. And so it's like, wow, this one, wow, they played in this Elvis song. It must be the 50s. (laughs) You will believe. Yeah, yeah. Nothing else about the movie says 50s, but they played Elvis. They played Hound Dog. And, you know, uh, okay. Yeah. So to avoid fainting, keep repeating. It's only a tagline. Choo-choo, bitch. And no, really, it's the 70s, I swear. <laughs> you know what? It sounds really, it sounds like the most challenging and the most quick way to die. Um, but sometimes it's kinder. So I am putting on my Jessica Beale white tank top. And I'm going to drive my van, my Skinner van into the, the 70s. No, really, it's the 70s, please. All right. I you. think you'll get these. Yeah. These are famous, like, uh, needle drops. Don't you just love a needle drop? Here's the ten best needle drops in horror. When did everyone start calling it needle drop? I got so mad. Once there was, like, a thing that said, here, what's your favorite needle drop? And then I was like, what? I had to Google that. And then I got upset that that was a name now. Yeah. It's called a song. Sure is. It's called playing a song in a movie. Okay. (laughs) All right. You'll get these. I think you'll... This first one is probably the toughest, I'll say that. Okay. All right, here we go. Number one, Sweet Home Alabama by Leonard Skinner. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, Jessica Beasel's Texas Chainsaw Mascara, please. Yes, ding, ding, ding. Texas Chainsaw Mascara. Do you think anybody's made that? Okay, here we go. Number two. One Thing Leads to Another by The Fix. One Thing Leads to Another. Oh, that's House of the Devil. Yes, it is. Ding, ding, ding. Well done. Well done. I had, to, I had to envision her bopping down that hallway. What an incredible, one of my favorite sequences in horror movies. Oh, so good. So good. What a great movie. Yeah, it is. Also, I just want to say, Leslie Borden of the day posted a picture side by side of Meg Ryan in Amityville 3D and Greta Gerwig as Megan in House of the Devil. And I said, I'm just treating it as canon that they are. Megan was inspired by Meg Ryan in that film. <laughs> yeah. And I love it. So thanks, Leslie Borden, for posting that. As always, Leslie Borden posts great shit. Everybody she's follow on, Leslie Borden. She's Thank on you. top of it. Yes. Okay, number three. Freebird by Leonard Skinnerd. Um, I, this could be a lot, I feel, but I'm going to guess The Devil's Rejects. Yes, ding, ding, ding. Oh. Isn't that ending just Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid? Yeah, but tutti fruity style. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sorry. Go on. <laughs> okay, here we go. Number four. Auf im Friedhof by Nina Hagen. Suspiria, motherfucker. Yes, dig, dig, dig. Ha! Ha! And that's when Olga is on the phone with her somebody saying, like, I don't think you even care about me. That's right. When Susie's being shown in the dormitory. And they play Nina Hagen. And I heard, like, maybe my second viewing in the theater, I said, that's Nina fucking Hagen. This movie is fucking cool. Yeah, it is. Well done. Nina Hagen, do the kids know about her? She's incredible. Oh, she's amazing. Ugh. Okay, number five. Right. For all the monies, <gasps> we can celebrate together if you get this one right. Okay. Time of the season by the zombies. It's the time of the season for loving. That one? Mm-hmm. I want the wig, breastplate. Um. It's the time of the season for loving. I have no fucking idea. Oh, my God. No. <laughs> Super dead. I have no idea. Wait. It's the time of the season for loving. What? Film we're looking for is... Doesn't it go into an organ solo from there? The Conjuring. It's the time... Oh, fuck! Really? Yes. It's the time... <laughs> That's the <laughs> Yeah. In The Conjuring? I believe it's when they're moving into their home. Oh, and you get that tracking shot that goes through the house following all of them and their different rooms and stuff. Yeah. In 2011, me said, this James Wan is on to something. Yeah, this movie's amazing. <laughs> God damn it! I was doing so good till I died. Yeah. That's usually how it goes with the chopping block, you know? And, and in life. <laughs> and in life. You do pretty well, and then you die. God damn it! Yeah. At least oh, I got sorry. to wear the breastplate. You did. You died with a breastplate on. <laughs> As we all hope to. 
uh, <laughs> I wave at your spirit as it uh, rises from your dead, bloody body. Oh, wow. I take all my winnings, and I don't build a statue in your honor, but I treat myself to a nice dinner. Oh. And and I think about how I'm not gonna build a statue in your honor. <laughs> so it's the same as, thing as you enjoy the nice dinner. Mm-hmm. Well, good. Yeah. So self care is important. <laughs> so I'm <laughs> so in my in my trying time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She still fed herself. I'm happy for my friend. <laughs> well. Padrugi. Oh no. <laughs> uh, I guess it's time to say Dosvidania. You can whatever on our website, gaylordsofdarkness.com. Old episodes, uh, links to our social media, all of that stuff. Otherwise, Herasho will be back next week. No, 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 no. You have to say it as <laughs> my new queen. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was taking a nap, but all right. Uh, well, Padrugi. Dosvidania. Enjoy yourselves. Treat yourself to a nice meal. I don't uh, have anything against that. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Dosvidania, Padruga. For a haunted tome made out of skin, it's so loosely structured, yet informative. I know, right? Uh, Is it over? It's glowing and spinning on its own, so I'm gonna guess yes. Ah, Oh oh my my god! God. Oh Oh my my god! God. Tune in next time for more Gaylords of Darkness! Ha, ha, ha.